Good morning, everyone. Uh, good morning, everyone. Okay, that's, that's better. <laughs> uh, could you open up your Bibles to Genesis 11, please? Genesis um, chapter 11. Genesis 11. And I'm going to pray and ask for the Lord's help on our time as we study his word together. We need the Lord's help, don't we? So let's pray and ask him. Lord, we thank you that we get a chance and an opportunity to study your word here this morning. What a privilege it is. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help us. We need your help. Lord, there's much going on in our minds right now. And, Lord, we need your help. Speak to us, we pray, from your word, in your name. Amen. Um, as we come here this morning, uh, there are many of us feeling different things. Some of us probably feel very close to God right now. And I hope there's some of us here in this room that feel really close to God. Some of us probably, if I was asking you how your relationship with God is going, maybe you don't really know. Maybe you haven't even thought of that question for a while. Maybe you're a little bit in, in no man's land in terms of your relationship with God. So there's some very close some who don't really know, and maybe some, if we're honest, that feel like God, He's just really far away right now, that God is really distant from me. And sometimes when we're going through those moments, those are moments that I would call the where are you God moments in life. As we look at our lives, and we look at our relationship with God, and we look at everything that's going on, we wonder and we ask God, God, where are you? Well, in Abraham's story, right now he has a where are you God moment. And I'm going to read it to you. It's from Genesis chapter 11, verse 27. Look at these words. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah, in the land of his kindred, in the Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. The name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Ishka. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went forth together from the Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. I would suggest to you that these verses show us the where are you God moment in Abraham's life. And you might look at these verses and you might say, well, Shane, no, these verses are just telling us boring information. You know those verses that you kind of read and you just kind of skip over and you're kind of like, Terah was the father of whatever and he was the father of whatever and she died and all this kind of stuff. But if you look at it closely, if you look at the words closely, you will see that Abraham is in a great time of loss. In verse 28, we hear that Haran, his brother, died. That's loss. 
In verse 30, we hear that Sarai, she was barren and had no children. That's loss. And do you notice the way that the verse goes out of its way? She's barren and she has no children. Well, if she's barren, she would have no children, right? But it's specifically telling us that truth. That's loss. And then in verse 32, what happens to Abraham's father? He dies. That's loss. His brother is dead. His father is dead. His wife can have no children, which in those days meant no extension of your family line and lineage. This is a where are you God moment in his life. He has lost everything. Everything in his life is gone. And it is at this moment, it is at this moment that God comes into his life and that God speaks. It's as if God brings Abraham aside in the where are you God moment. It's as if God brings him aside and says, Abraham, you don't have to worry, Abraham, because I have a promise for you. You have lost everything, but I have a promise for you. And look at God's promise to Abraham, chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, in his where are you God moment, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abraham comes to this moment in his life and he's wondering, God, where are you? And God pulls him aside and says, I have a promise for you. But in those verses, before God gets to the promise, do you know what God says to the man who has lost everything? Before he gets to the promise in verse 1, he tells Abraham to leave everything. Go from your country, go from your kindred, and go from your father's house. You would think that God would immediately say to him words of assurance, words of comfort, all those things, but he comes to the man who has lost everything and says, Abraham, here's what I want you to do. I want you now to leave everything. I know you've lost everything, but now I want you to leave everything. Your home, your family, your inheritance. His father has died. He had an inheritance. God saying, I want you to leave that inheritance and trust my promises. Leave everything. And then God gives him the promise. Verse 2, notice the words, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Do you notice those words from God? I will, I will, I will, I will. I will. The promises of God to the man who has lost everything, to the man who has to leave everything, 
God pulls him aside and says to him, don't worry, I will bless you. And this is one promise that has three parts. I will make you into a great nation. I will give you a great nation. You will have many, many descendants. This is a hard promise to believe when your wife is barren. You are going to be made into a great nation. The second part of the promise is I'm going to give you a land. Verse 1. Go into the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. And the third part of the promise is, and I will bless you. I will bless you. Here's the promise. You are going to get a land. You are going to have children and descendants. And even though it doesn't look like it right now in the where are you God moment in your life, I am going to bless you. Now, if I was Abraham, I would say, God, I'm not sure about this. Leave everything after I've lost everything. Do you know what Abraham does? Verse 4, so Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. God speaks, and Abraham obeys. You know, there is a lot to be said for simple obedience. God speaks, and you just do it. God speaks, and you just do it. It's amazing in my Christian life, one of the first books I read in the Bible was the book of James. Why? Because it was short. It's one of the only books I thought I could probably finish. And in the book, it just has command after command after command, over 50 commands given to us in that book. And I loved it. Why? Because God told me what to do, and I wanted to do it. God told me what to do, and I wanted to do it. There's a lot to be said for Christian obedience, walking and following the Lord Jesus. We are given commands in Scripture. God calls us to be his people. God calls us to trust him. And God calls us to go. A great commission command is go and make disciples. I'm going to be with you. What do we simply do? We trust and obey. We trust and obey. We trust and obey. In the where are you God moment of Abraham's life, God pulls him aside and says, I have a promise for you. And he trusts him with that promise. And you might think with Abraham, okay, that's, that's, that's good now. Everything should be over. Everything should be fine. He's trusted in the promise of God. That will be grand. Everything will be fine in his story. This is the part of the covenant. God gives promises in his covenant. He is trusting and obeying him. But that is not the way Abraham's life worked out. It wasn't a simple life of trust and obey. There was times where he wavered in his faith. Are there times where you waver in your faith? You bet there are. And there's times for him where he wavers in his faith. And he wonders, God, are you really, like, like we're over 70 here, 
And are you really going to provide for us descendants? Are you really going to provide for us children? And what Abraham does is he seeks to take matters into his own hands. And what he does in Genesis 15, you can turn there, Genesis chapter 15, says in Genesis chapter 15, verse 2, but Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. So now he's in chapter 15, he trusted and obeyed, and now he's wondering, Lord, what are you going to give? I have Eliezer of Damascus. Surely he can be the heir. Surely he can be the descendant. And in verse 3, the Lord says to him, and Abram, or verse 3, and Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Verse 4, and Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And do you know what God did at that moment? God didn't just take him aside and say, Abram, I have a promise for you. But what God did at that very moment is he took Abram aside and said, Abram, I have a picture for you. And here's the picture I have for you, because Abram's wavering. He's wondering, God, we've got to take it into our own hands. I've got to do something here. I've got this servant that I have, Eliezer. He can be the heir, and, and it's all good. I've, I've got this, Lord. I've got this under control. Have you ever told God that you know better than him? Abraham does this. God, I've got this. I know you've given the promise, but I've got this. And God takes him out, and he shows him the picture. Verse 5, and he brought him outside and said, look toward the heavens and number the stars, if you were able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, not only do I have a promise for you, but I have a picture for you. Abraham, I want you to look up to the skies. Abraham, I want you to look to the stars. Can you number them? That's going to be your descendants. Trust me. Now, if I was Abraham, do you know what I would do? God, I need a little bit more than that. Do you know what Abraham does? Verse 6. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. There's a lot to be said, a lot to be said for simple trust and faith in the Lord Jesus. God gives us commands. God calls us to obey. And here in these moments, though Abraham wavers, God calls him to go, and he obeys. God calls him to trust, and he believes. So you might think, okay, Abraham sorted. That's good. Okay, he's, he's now trusted in the promise. He has now seen the picture, and now believes, and it's credit to, to him as righteousness. But look at what happens in the next two verses. Verse 7, and he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he, Abraham, said, O Lord, how am I to know I shall possess it? Abraham believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness. 
And then the Lord says, I'm going to give you a land. And he says, Lord, how am I to believe? Like in verse 6, he believed. And in verse 8, he's going, how am I to believe? God, I need more. Show me more. And God pulls him aside. And God, in his grace, he shows him another picture. A picture to prove his faithfulness. And the picture, it is a really strange, ancient, Near Eastern picture of the promise. I want to read the whole thing for you because it's really a crazy ceremony in which God is going to say, I'm going to keep my covenant. Chapter 15, verse 9. He said to him, bring me a heifer, three years old. So Abraham's doubting, how am I going to know that I'm going to get this land? God says to him, bring me a heifer three years old, and a female goat three years old, and a ram three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away, and the sun was going down. And a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in the land that is not yours, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down, it was dark. Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying to your offspring, I give this land. Abraham's doubting. How am I going to know I'm going to have children? God says, here's a picture for you. Look at the stars. Then he says, how am I going to know I'm going to get the land? God says, I'm going to give you another picture. But this is a strange weird covenant kind of picture. Whenever they were making covenants or agreements, whenever you make a covenant or agreement with someone, you seal the deal somehow. So in our experience, if I say, look, I'm going to do something, you might seal the deal with a handshake, right? Or if you're saying you're going to do something, you might seal the deal by signing the contract. Or when I was younger as a teenager, we, we sealed the deal by spitting on it. So what you would do is you would spit on your hand and the other person would spit on their hand and for some reason you'd shake and it'd just be this gooey little thing and that's how you kind of kept a promise. Or maybe for the younger little children here, you have those what they call nowadays the kind of pinky promise. It's, it's sealing the deal, isn't it? What God is doing is He's sealing the deal. 
In the, in the ancient Near East, what they had is this, this kind of picture where they would get the animals, they would cut the animals in half, they would lay one set of the animals on this side and, and one set of the animals on this side, and what would happen is, is the blood from the, it's really gross, but, but the blood from this half of the animal and the blood from that half of the animal would go into the center. And what the people would do to seal the deal that are making the covenant is they would stand beside one another I'm not sure if they would hold hands, but they would walk at the same time. And do you know what they would do? They would walk through, exactly, Simon. They would walk through the blood. What a messy way to seal the deal. They would walk through the blood. Now, why do they walk through the blood? Here's what they were saying. I'm making a promise to you, and you're making a promise to me. If I don't keep this promise, my blood be spilt. And if you don't keep your side of the promise, your blood be spilt. The strange thing about what God did at this time is he was making this agreement with Abraham. But you know what he did with Abraham? Abraham put him to sleep. And then it says the strange thing that a smoking fire pot passed through the blood. What does that smoking fire pot represent? It is the Lord God. In Exodus chapter 13, verse 21, it says this of the Lord, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in the pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. How did God lead His people? He led His people by smoke and by fire. What was happening? God put Abraham aside, and what God did, in effect, in His presence, God walked through the path. And He said this, in effect, if I don't keep my side of the covenant, my blood be spilt. And if you don't keep your side of the covenant, guess what God said? My blood be spilt. So the question is, how on earth, how on earth does God's blood get spilt? Abraham's people, they were not faithful to the promise. They were not faithful to keep their side of the deal. God's people were not faithful throughout the generations. But what happened? At the cross of Calvary, God's blood was spilt. That's what God is saying to us this morning. If you feel God is far away from you, and God is distant from you, and you're in one of those where are you God moments, God's bringing you aside and he's saying, I have a picture for you. The picture is my blood is spilt on Calvary. Your sins, they are forgiven. That's the picture for you. And I also, I have a promise for you. Because the promise that was given to Abraham isn't just a promise for Abraham, but for all of those who would be his descendants. In Galatians chapter 3 verse 7 it says this, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. 
If we have believed and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, we too are sons of Abraham, which means we too inherit the promises. We inherit the promise of land. We inherit the promise of the new heavens and the new earth. You know when Jesus, in John 14, He said this, I must go so that I can prepare a place for you. One day we will get the place. One day we will be in that place with every tribe and tongue and nation. One day we will not only get the land, the place, but we will get the people. We will be with the nations. Yes, Abraham has many descendants, and we will see all of them in the new heaven and the new earth. And we will sing with all of them, salvation belongs to our God. But you know what? The greatest blessing of heaven is not the place, and it is not the people. The greatest blessing of heaven is that we will finally see our Savior. That's the greatest blessing of heaven. You know, here's how I picture it, right? This is how I picture it. One day, I'm gonna sit down one day, and I'm gonna sit down with my friend Faith. Let's call him Faith. And I'm gonna sit down with Faith, and I'm gonna talk to Faith, and I'm gonna say, Faith, you have been so good to me. You have been so kind to me over the years, Faith. Because if it were not for you, Faith, I would never be here. I would never be the new heavens and the new earth. I would never be here without you, Faith. So thank you, Faith. But Faith, I don't need you anymore. I have a better friend. I don't need you anymore. Faith, you are pointless here. Do you know why? I have a new friend. Do you know what my new friend's name is? My new friend's name is Sight, and he is far better than you. My faith, it will give way to Sight, and that will be the greatest blessing of heaven. We will see our Savior for eternity. We can trust him. Abraham is in that where are you God moment. God, I need something from you. And God comes and he shows him a promise. God comes and he shows him a picture. And Abraham is still taking things into his own hands. Abraham and Hagar, they fail to believe that God is going to give them a descendant. So what they do, Abraham and Sarah fail to believe that God is going to give them a descendant. So what do they do? They get Hagar, the slave girl, and they get Abraham, and they say, look, Abraham and Hagar, you can sleep together, and, and, and then you can create descendants. And, and that's what they're doing. They're taking things into their own hands again. And then if you turn to chapter 16, Genesis chapter 16, verse 15, it says this, about Hagar and Abram's son. And Hagar bore Abram, uh, Genesis 16, verse 15. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. 
Now, if I'm Abraham, I'm thinking, well, Lord, you fulfill this promise. This promise has finally come. We have Ishmael, and they named him Ishmael because Ishmael means the Lord hears, the Lord listens. Surely the Lord, through Ishmael, is giving us descendants. And at this stage, Abraham's 86 years old. They're not going to have any more. And then I want you to notice what happens in chapter 17, verse 1. And when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham. So what you've got, chapter 16, verse 16, and chapter 17, verse 1, chapter 16, verse 16 says he's 86 years old, and now he is 99 years old. So you know that gap in your Bible there that's between the end of chapter 16 and the start of chapter 17? That gap represents 13 years. That's a long time. And what I would suggest to you is that is a long time of silence from the Lord. This is again another where are you God moment for Abraham. God, what are you doing? How are you moving? Why have you been silent with me? And it is here that the Lord moves and he speaks. And the Lord is going to say to him, not only do I have a promise for you, not only do I have a picture for you, but now, Abraham, I have a sign for you. It is not going to be Ishmael. I am going to bring you a sign that you are going to have many descendants. And here's what the Lord says. Chapter 17, verse 1. I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. And then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham." for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Before God gets to the sign, what we have a picture of is God's provision through the names. God comes to him and says, I am the Lord Almighty. Whenever you hear God's names, however God's name is spoken in Scripture, it is important. Genesis chapter 1, God is called Elohim, which means God as the great creator of the universe. But then in Genesis chapter 2, when God zooms in on the creation of the sixth day of man and woman, when God zooms in on that creation of man and woman on the sixth day, He is called Yahweh Elohim, which means the covenant-keeping God. And Elohim, and Yahweh Elohim, comes to Abraham this time and says, I am God Almighty, which means I am the great provider. El Shaddai, I'm going to provide for you. Where are you, God? You've been silent for 13 years. I'm God Almighty, and I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to show you by changing your name. You were Abram, which means father. That should have counted for something. But then God gets more specific. I'm going to call you Abraham, 
which means father of a multitude of nations. And I'm going to give you a sign to show you that. And verse 6, you have the sign. It says this, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations. Kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting covenant possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abram, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. This is what we saw in covenants. They not only tend to have promises, but they tend to have signs. The covenant of marriage might have the sign of the ring. The covenant between God and Noah had the sign of the bow in the sky. And this covenant here between God and Abraham has the sign of circumcision. God is saying to the man who doubts, I'm going to give you a sign. You're going to externally mark yourselves. But the reality of this sign, it it was an external sign, but it was always going to be a picture of an internal change. In Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, it says this, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart. Circumcision was made in the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. It was said to be an external sign. But even in that same book in Deuteronomy, God says, there will come a time where I will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring. And I will do that so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and that you may live. This external picture of circumcision was pointing forward to an internal internal picture of a heart change. And the only way your heart gets changed is by faith and trust in God. Galatians chapter 5 verse 6, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. In the new covenant, we no longer have external circumcision. What we need is an internal heart change. You need God to change your heart, and the only way your heart is going to change is by faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. And that's what I would encourage you to do this morning. If you have never placed your faith and your trust in Jesus, Jesus is coming to you and saying to you, I have a sign for you. And it is not the external sign, it is the internal sign of heart change. And the only way you are going to get that heart change is by faith and trust in me. 
So God, he comes to Abraham, he says, Abraham, I have a promise for you. Abraham, I have a picture for you. Abraham, I have a sign for you. And that's not the end of Abraham's story. Because Abraham, throughout his life, it's like he believed, he obeyed, but he always doubts. There's always those moments of doubt. Abraham, when he heard the promise of having a child, you know what he did? One of his responses, God comes to him, promises him he's going to have a child. You know what he does? He laughs. Sarah, she's given the promise of a child. Do you know what she does? She laughs. Do you know what you would do if you were 90 and 100? You were told you're going to have a child? You'd laugh. But then if you had a child, do you know what would be, be a really cool name to call that child? He laughs. And that's exactly what they did. Abram's 100. She's 90. They have a child and they call him Isaac, which means he laughs. The great promises of God have come true. But then in Genesis 22, God calls him, and you know the account, to do a crazy thing. I want you to take this son, Isaac. He will laugh. And I want you to take this son, your only son, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. What was God doing? He was testing him. So they get the wood. They prepare all that. They get that ready. They start walking up the mountain. There's this moment where Isaac kind of says, where's the sacrifice? Oh, don't worry. The Lord will provide. They get on top of the mountain. What they do is they lay the wood out. They make the altar. They lay that out. Then Abraham bounds his son, and then Abraham puts his son on the altar or asks his son to get up on the altar. God has asked him to sacrifice the son, so what does he do? Simple obedience. And then he gets the knife, and he's holding the knife over his son. And we are told in Hebrews chapter 11, that I think it's chapter 11, verse 6. You can look it up later, just in relation to Abraham. We are told that Abraham did believe that God would be able to raise his son from the dead. So Abraham, at that moment, he had faith that, God, you're going to do something. But if I'm holding a knife over my son, my only son, my promised son, at that moment, I am going to be asking God a question. God, where are you? Do I really have to do this? And it's at that moment that God comes in and God speaks and God says, Abram, don't worry. I have a sacrifice for you. Genesis 22 verse 11 says this, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abram, Abram. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abram lifted up his eyes, and he looked, and behold, behind him was a ram 
caught in a thicket by his thorns. And Abram went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abram called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. As it is said, to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Abram's doubting throughout his life. The Lord says, I have a promise for you, don't worry. Abraham's doubting throughout his life. The Lord says, I have a picture for you. Don't worry. Abraham's doubting throughout his life. The Lord says, I have a sign for you. Don't worry. Abraham's doubting and worrying throughout his life. And the Lord says, I have a sacrifice for you. Don't worry. You know what I believe? I believe that the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Lord who provided then is still the same Lord who provides now. And if you feel far away from God, if you feel distant from God, here's what God would say to you this morning. It's as if He would pull you aside and say to you this, do not you worry one bit. I have a sacrifice for you. Look to my son. Look to the cross. Fix your eyes on the Lord Jesus. He has died for you. God, where are you? He's on the road to Calvary. Where are you? He's on the cross and he's died for me. Where are you? He has risen and he has ascended at the right hand for me. Where are you? He is coming again to reign with you and me. When we say bye-bye faith and hello to sight, what a day that will be. So what do we do? This morning, this week, what do we do? Some of us feel very far away from God. Everybody else is singing, seem into it. But maybe you're not. What do you do? Let me suggest to you two things. Number one, I would suggest to you this. Open up. Open up. What have you got to lose? You've got nothing to lose. I realized that even, even this week, you know, um, Brendan and I just had a really good conversation this week together. There's an opportunity to open up. What have I got to lose? In the men's group as we gather together, it's an opportunity to open up. What have I got to lose but my pride? You all know we're not perfect, right? We agree on that? Let's agree to open up. The temptation in our life when we're going through bad circumstances or situations and we feel that God is distant from us, the temptation is to close ourselves off. It's like a safety mechanism. We close ourselves in and we don't want to tell anyone anything. You know what? I'd encourage you to open up. Tell someone. Tell someone in this church. Tell someone how you're doing spiritually and ask them to pray for you. 
Come alongside each other. The second thing I would say is this. Not only open up, but speak up. Some of you, hopefully, are close to the Lord and are doing well with the Lord. God's people, they need you to speak up. They need you at that moment to speak up and say, do you not know I'm feeling that God is very distant from me? Do you not know that there is a sacrifice for you? God's people need you to speak of the gospel. And if we're going to open up and speak up, might sound a bit cheesy, but hopefully it'll help you, then I think we need to meet up. You can't open up and speak up if you don't meet up. If you're not, if you're not meeting up with people, you're, you're not going to do it. So I encourage you to do that. Let's speak the truth of the gospel to each other. Open up together, speak together, and meet up together. And yes, that might be in the meetings of the church, but could it not also be over coffee or over lunch or something where you meet with someone and just say, you know what? It's just not going well. And I feel like God is really distant and I need you just to pray. And here's what I'll guarantee to you. Probably as you open up to that person, they might even say the wrong thing, humanly. Just ask them to pray. This is what the body is supposed to do. Open up, speak up, meet up. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this covenant with Abraham. Lord, we thank you that you gave to him a promise, a picture, a sign, and a sacrifice. And Lord, I pray that we would remember those promises and pictures and signs and the sacrifice in our own life. And I pray for each one of us, Lord, that we would remember you today. That we would remember your sacrifice for us as we spend time around your supper. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us be a church that are not a bunch of individuals gathering together on a Sunday morning, but pray that you would build in our church a community, a community of people who will open up to one another, who would speak up to one another, and who would meet up with one another. Help us, Lord, be that kind of church. In your name, amen.